So we're working a schedule of six on and one off, and Wednesday's my off day. So uh, here's my thing. I'm going to be recording for you guys on Wednesday now instead of Friday. So you'll see podcasts come on Wednesdays. And uh, hopefully I get them out earlier in the day than I'm doing this one. Um, I'm doing my recording remote now. I'm obviously not home. I don't have my mixer board and stuff. So it kind of took me a second to uh, try to get my sound and stuff. Uh, the other thing is kind of late at night when I'm recording. I'm in a hotel, so if I'm not like real super duper loud, because I don't want them to call uh, the people on me and kick me out of my hotel room and stuff. So I'm gonna try to keep my stuff kind of low key on this one. Hopefully, I can record earlier today when people aren't uh, in their rooms and stuff, and I can be as rambunctious as I want to be. Uh, like I say, yeah, out here doing the firefighting thing uh, for the summer. Um, so, um, most of the recordings are going to be the remote version. Um, and so I'm still trying to work out, uh, some things like, uh, being able to get a live caller in, uh, with the setup I have here, I can do it with my setup at home, but you know, this is a little bit different. And so, you know, I'm just trying some things out and hopefully this doesn't sound too bad. If it does, I apologize. And I'll, you know, I'm constantly trying to work on my craft and trying to get better. So, um, we'll do that. We'll do that. Um, I did want to say this, you know, um, with all my experience in the military and stuff, there's a few things that I've had personal reward and enjoyment, um, that were greater than what I do out here during uh, the summer. Um, when I've been in Iraq and Afghanistan, one of the most enjoyable things is always taking the boys home, being that ride where guys have done like their year or seven, how many months they've done overseas away from the family and stuff. And you roll in and you pick them up because when those wheels leave the ground and everybody's hooping and hollering 
and you know you're part of that first leg of their journey going back home to their families and stuff and you're getting them out safe um because you you never know when you drop guys off you know who's coming back um so when you when you get guys back and you're taking them back home and all the stuff they've been through and stuff it's just really rewarding and that's how i kind of feel about my um, work out here doing airborne firefighting uh completely rewarding we've been on the county fire here and uh, northern california a lot and uh been on a couple other fires up in oregon and you know the the idea that you're helping people um who otherwise might not be able to help themselves is very rewarding the other thing too is that you see it's on tv and stuff and whether it's my tanker or or the 910 guys or the 74944 tail 944 105 and shout outs to all the, the guys that um that risked their lives doing um, the tanker business. Uh, the real heroes are on the ground. The fires get put out on the ground. Um, all we do is try to buy, buy time for those guys, um, maybe and knock a flame down or two. Um, but the real your real heroes, the, those are the boys on the ground. So um, shout out to uh, uh, Cal Fire and all the guys uh, out west, uh, the hotshot crews for the Forest Service and uh, Hell Attack and uh, Lee Plane Piles and just everybody. I miss. I couldn't possibly name everybody, um, but yeah, you guys are real heroes and stuff, and just happy to do my part out here. Um, so, and and you guys can actually check out um, my Instagram and Facebook. Uh, I put pictures and videos out. Um, of that stuff and there's some some video out now is coming around and, um no maybe find interesting stuff i'm actually i'm gonna double down on my social media uh, especially my twitter um for the podcast and not just retweeting things i see and stuff but actually you know some just some shout out some daily stuff um and so that twitter handle if you're looking for it is the main event or you can um look under um to my ads, uh, Parker Bro, P R K R B R O. Um, the Insta is the main event podcast, and the same thing for the Facebook page, or you can just look for me at Jermaine Parker on Facebook, and you can link to my Facebook page. Of course, as always, the website www.themaineventpodcast.com. Uh, that's where I was talking to somebody, and they were like, Hey, how do I donate? Um, there's links on there for donating if you want to donate to the podcast. Um, there's if you want to listen to the podcast and you don't want to play with uh, iTunes or Google Play, you can get it directly from the website. So always check out the website. Um, and also, um, I'm on Gmail, the main event podcast, gmail.com. Um, if you got any questions that you want answered during the podcast or whatever, you know, just hit me up there. Um, I try to be very, very responsive to you guys. And, like I said, I get a lot of questions off air via text and stuff because this is small and other people know me um, that listen to it. And if you don't know me, hey, reach out. Uh, we'll get to know you. Uh, <laughs> definitely not that big in my life right now. And um, and, it's, and it's actually kind of funny because, you know, I, I, I decided that um, I wanted to add a segment uh, to the podcast because, you know, I can. Um, and it's for all the people out there who, um, dislike me. 
not just people like me. Um, I think that there's certain people out there who need to be recognized. And, you know, I'd like to call this segment of the podcast, Hi Haters. Hi Haters. Hey, yeah, so shout out to all my haters, um, the people that um, are listening to the podcast uh, just so they can try to trip me up and do stuff and use my words against me. Hey, you know, the benefit of this podcast, unlike a lot of things out there, whether it be my Twitter or anything like that, is that I get a un- virtually unlimited amount of time to talk and clarify stuff. And so um, when people, and, and this, which is incredibly helpful when you're trying to get a point across, because a lot of times we talk and we don't really have the time to clear things up. But for like the person that gave me like the lowest rating that you can give me on iTunes, gave me the one. Fuck you. Um, and <laughs> that's from the bottom of my heart. And But I want you to continue to listen. Um, I want you to know that I'm thinking about you and I've got my own special segment for you. So, hi, haters. Um, <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's happened since the last time um, I put out a podcast. And, man, it's almost too much. And that's the reason I like to do it weekly because there's – so much stuff to talk about um you know i i i'm I'm a big sports guy i do i do like sports i've kind of shied away from pro basketball last five seven years somewhere in there i mean i watch it like i watch the finals and stuff like watch the finals this year and um I don't know. It was it was really more interesting before the finals. The finals was, um, you know, getting you know, getting LeBron get swept out of Cleveland, and literally swept out of Cleveland as he lands in uh, L.A. And I'm not sure how I feel about that uh, LeBron in a Lakers uniform. I was talking to some friends about it, and what I was telling them, my take, which is you know important, <laughs> my my take is is that. That's just something that he wanted to do. He's at the end of his career. It's a four-year deal. He's third, like 33 years old. He'd be 37 in this deal. Um, he left like 50 plus million dollars on the table, but not resigning with Cleveland. So I don't really think this is a mon- it was a monetary decision. It was just something that he wanted. And I think um, a player like that has kind of earned the right to say, you know what, I like to I like to wear the purple and gold. I looked up to those teams. You know, honestly, I believe he's a little young to have been a Magic fan. Um, 2018, I mean, yeah, he'd have been little, little uh, when Magic was playing. But a Kobe fan, he could be a Kobe fan, absolutely. And um, so, I, I, I don't know what, obviously, I don't hang out with King James. Uh, I don't know what his real preference was for going there, but, you know, I actually thought he would have been a better fit for championships if he was changing championships to go like Philly. Uh, I read somewhere recently that he wasn't really considering Philly. Uh, I know he was going to go to Boston, um, but I just kind of think he wanted to play for um, some NBA royalty, and he had the opportunity to do that, and they wanted him, and so that's why he's there. I mean, I look forward to um, the next season and stuff. Uh, to see what's going on um, with that, you know, especially with him moving to the West. I thought maybe part of it was is that 
Uh, a lot of people believe his success is simply because he's lived in the East all his life, and the East has been a weaker conference for like 20-something years. And so I just think that um, maybe he went out West, too, just to prove that he was up to beating, giving, handing out uh, beatings on a regular basis out in the West. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what Magic Johnson does with the rest of that roster. I know Rondo has uh, already signed up, and Lance Stevenson and uh, Vail McGee has come from Golden State. And uh, if this was Rondo like eight years ago, I'm happy about that. Um, but it's Rondo now, which kind of segues way into. So I'm 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 from Charlotte. Um, I'm a Hornets fan, original Hornets fan. Um, kind of suffered through the Bobcats, but Hornets fan. And um, they just signed Tony Parker. And, again, if this had been eight, ten years ago, I'd be ecstatic. Two years, $10 million, five bill a year average. I don't know what he's really getting a year. but um, And I'm thinking, Tony Parker's like a little bit younger than I am. <laughs> I'm like, what are the Hornets doing? Uh, they get rid of Dwight Howard. And a lot of people are talking about Dwight's attitude and stuff like that. I follow Dwight on Twitter. And I, mean, I don't know. Um, everybody's not what they seem. I'm probably not what I seem to most people. Um, even the haters. Hi, haters. Um, but he seems like a pleasant guy. He seemed like this year he was really enjoying basketball. Uh, he was a double-double guy. Uh, he was playing hard. I thought his stock kind of increased this year in Charlotte. But evidently, I'm not an NBA GM, and um, um, they traded him to uh, uh, to Brooklyn, and Brooklyn working on a deal to buy him out so he can go resign somewhere else. And um, I hear like maybe the Wizards, he's going to go to the Wizards and stuff. But I don't know. I'm just, I was kind of kind of confused by those basketball moves and what Michael Jordan and the front office are really thinking and what's going on in Charlotte and stuff. And I'm like, man, just you know. It's, it's, I mean, the season's just over. It's, it's a little bit much for me to be frustrated with my, my, my team. And we're, we're not even close to uh, – well, I guess we are. We're in, we're in July. I got a couple months. I'm going to start back up. It's a fairly short off season. Uh They've already started summer league games. Um, the draft, I'm not even going to talk about the draft and the Hornets. Um, <laughs> I, I don't get it. Um, I don't, it, you know, I don't get it. I, I think one of the things too, I was, I was telling somebody is that I hadn't really, really paid attention to college basketball too. So I'm not even really going to speak on the draft about who should be where and, um, that kind of stuff, because I'm just like, eh, uh, this year I'm going to, uh, fill my time with, uh, some pro ball and some college ball and stuff. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to watch uh football this year. I really am kind of turned off by the uh, the protests, and probably not for the reasons, or maybe for the reasons you think, um, not for the reasons that I hear on a constant basis, uh, because they're tired of kneeling. I'm actually not going to tune in because of their stance on kneeling. Um, the one thing I like about the NBA is that they understand that they're not in a bubble and that being socially conscious doesn't really hurt their bottom line, and that's something that the NFL doesn't get. You know, until they get it, you know, so they'll get it both ways. They'll get it from people like me who are like, you know what, uh, I do believe you discriminate against Colin Kaepernick. I do believe, you know, as a soldier, we, we fight for – because it's funny because, like, when there are Nazis marching in Charlottesville, 
uh, free speech is a cool thing. Nazis. Um, for the people in the back, Nazis marching is okay. Uh, black men kneeling in protest of social injustice is not. And as one friend told me, well, they should do that stuff in the locker room. I said, like, well, who would see them? And that's not a real protest and stuff. That is actually the kind of stuff that was heard during the civil rights movement of, well, you shouldn't be playing on buses or in our cafeterias or, you know, our lunch counters, drinking our water and stuff like that. Um, I actually kind of feel bad for some people because I don't think they know it or not, but in about 40, 50 years, your grandchildren are going to look at you and go, where were you on this issue? I think a lot of people don't understand that there's a lot of social stuff going on. And we look back and we always ask ourselves, where would I have been during the civil rights and stuff? And you're in that kind of movement right now. So um, this is who you are. And this is this is revealing a lot of personal things about people. I was reading this thing because I'm all over the place uh, right now. Free, I'm way off my script. Um, <laughs> I was looking at this thing and it, and it's, this is more my relation to revealing your true character and stuff. Is that I guess uh, Penn from Penn, Penn and Teller is maybe atheist, and um, he had this kind of quote where somebody was out there like, "Well, how how are you able to, uh, you know, morals and stuff without the belief in God, and you know, you know, raping and stuff." And he's like, "I I rape as much as I want right now." which is zero. And I murder as much as I want, which is zero. He said, the fact that you need <laughs> something else to keep you from doing that stuff is more indicative of who you are than the deity that you serve. And so, you know, a lot of stuff that's going on, I, I would say that too. I said, a lot of stuff is more indicative of who you are. Um, so anyway, let me get back on script. So I re- recently finished reading um, a book. It's called Black Privilege. Uh, Opportunity Comes to Those That Create It. It's by Charlemagne the God, uh, host of The Breakfast Club. He's on uh, Power 105.1. Um, and early episode, actually, uh, took Charlemagne. And he's talking about rape culture and stuff. He gave himself the donkey today. And so that's, that's his thing, donkey today, for people who um, – rightly deserve the attention that they they get for being jackasses and so uh he's got this book out and i read his book and i, I thought it was a nice book um did i <laughs> i thought it was nice i thought it was why it, it was an easy read um and i was bouncing around the back of my airplane you know flying around i was like man let me read this book in between uh doing my stuff so i was doing that and um, it really talks about his beginnings, where he began. He's a he's South Carolina guy. I can relate, North Carolina guy. Shout out to Um He talks about his childhood and growing up and, um, you know, making some really bad decisions. Um, later on, owning up those decisions, how he got into radio. Um, uh, I think he was fired four times from radio. Um, but talking about those struggles and stuff and – um, you know, one the the stack. There are a couple things I got out of his book, and that's why um, I'm kind of going to double down on my social media and 
I'm going to really make sure that you get this podcast every week, whether you want it or not. It's good for you. You take it. Um, is that, you know, he's talking about all the opportunities that we have now. He's talking about when him and uh, comedian Little Duvall, shout out Little Duvall, follow his uh, Twitter and his Instagram. He is hilarious. Um, but um, him and Little Duvall were doing stuff for YouTube. Um, doing production and he said it wasn't high quality stuff but we're just putting stuff out there and he's talking about he's surprised by the number amount of people who come to him and want to get put on but in today's 2018 he put yourself on perfect examples his podcast he said you know you're asking for gigs and stuff and you're not doing anything to build your digital resume and so I thought about that I said man you know what I'm not really building my digital resume on a consistent basis uh, because any, everything gets better the more you do it. And so w- wanted to do that, and he was talking about health and stuff like that. I'm like, yo, I need to get back on my grind, get up in the morning, you know, do these push-ups and sit-ups, you know, work on this fat tire, you know, get everything back right, you know. Um, and so I'm listening to him, and I'm like, absolutely. It's, and it's not stuff that I've not heard before. But um, it was relatable. and um, But like I say, just create your own stuff. Don't wait to be put on stuff. I thought that was good. And I the one thing that Charlemagne always talks about is like living your truth. So he, he talks about his book about being unfaithful to his uh, girlfriend and now wife. And he talks about um, when he was selling crack when he was in South Carolina and being a drug dealer. Um, he ended up in a viral video um, <laughs> or some guys try to jump him. He's running around a car in the street, almost gets hit by a car, running to um, his studio up in New York. And um, the one, the, it's sort of like Eight Mile, uh, where Eminem is in his rap battle, and he knows that his opponent is about to slander him because of his loser friends and where he lives with his mom and all stuff. So he raps and pokes fun at himself. And Charlemagne's like, Yeah, well, that's how I live. It's like, Live your truth. Don't let people tell tell your story you tell it first and that way you disarm and they take it takes the power away from them and it's actually like say nothing new in this book but just reading it again i was like you know what he's absolutely right you know one of the things with this podcast i try to put out the best content and i want to talk about social issues and stuff and i want to give you a little bit of that before i give you some leadership and in doing that i try to give you some balance you know, I don't want to be overly aggressive because I don't want to turn anybody off uh, for stuff. And so when I'm, I was listening to that, I said, you know what? Why am I doing that? It's my podcast. I've literally gotten $5 um, from LaCrista. Thank you, LaCrista Pool. Um, <laughs> donated me $5. I got $5 from doing this podcast. I am operating in the negative in this podcast. Um, you know, it's not syndicated. I don't have any sponsors. No one tells me what to say and stuff. Why not just say what I want to say? And so that's what we do. Um, I've always, even, and it's not saying that I wasn't calling it how I saw it before, uh, but one of the things that I didn't want to do was just be offensive for the sake of being offensive. I'm not going to do that either now, um, but there are sometimes there are deeper conversations that need to be had or I want to have them and wasn't really participating um, that way with those conversations. And that's that's not right. 
um, not for me, not for the purpose of podcast. And, and I think that what is truly unique is me. That's what I bring to the podcast is me and my views and stuff like that. And so if I'm not fully expressing my views and I'm not really giving out everything that I could be giving to this podcast. Um, now I'm again, I'm in the hotel and it's almost midnight now. So I'm not going to be yelling and going on, uh, tonight, but I, you know, I want to give all I can to the podcast and, you know, really express my views and stuff. So, you know, I really wanted to start with something that's completely controversial, um, and wreck the whole format of what I was going to do. I was going to continue my series on leadership, uh, where leadership lives. And I am next week. You're going to get it. I've actually had it written out, um, for some time now. But I wanted to dedicate this podcast to kind of living my truth, talking about some re- some real stuff outside of LeBron and going to the to the Lakers, which I'm again still confused by. But hey, that's man's earned what he wants to do. <clears throat> I I wanted to to talk about what's being sensationalized in <clears throat> a lot of stories today, and that is basically living while black or as a person of color. Um, there have been it's all over the news and a lot of it has to do with that we tend to sensationalize and trend on topics and stuff but it's really nothing new to the community to the culture we know the challenges that there are just you know casually being black and i i think that you know so with this platform i want to talk about it i want to talk about what that means and the examples like let me say this before I go on. Whoever's out there in the internet making up all these hashtags for these people that are calling the um, police on black people while doing stuff, you guys are brilliant and you have way too much time. That's why I love slash hate the internet. Um, but like Barbecue Becky. So this is, if you've been on a rock, um, woman calls the police um, because there's some guys in a park in Oakland that are barbecuing. And her whole thing is that, you know, you can't barbecue here. That's illegal, and it's a public safety thing. Well, it was not illegal, and they were perfectly in their rights to be doing it. In fact, she was confronted by somebody uh, and recorded, like, what are you doing? Why are you harassing these guys? Because they were like, she was really being aggressive and harassing these guys. And she's calling the cops, but she's being aggressive towards them. Now, she calmed down and was less aggressive because the person that was confronting her was a uh, another white person. And so she was less aggressive than them. And, you know, the woman even goes on to state that. And she records for like 20 minutes. Cops show up. She's crying. You know, she's harassing me when, in fact, she was actually harassing other people. Um, there was a student. Oh, man, was it Harvard? Uh, I believe school, studying, fell asleep in the common area. Called the police on her for sleeping. I mean, I don't even know what to say about that. Um, and it's not just that. Little girl selling water. Record a woman. Oh, and she and she even came back and said, no, I, I was just playing. I was just threatening. It. Like, why would you play with that? It's not even funny. And actually, she wasn't playing because they, they she actually did call. They released a call. Um, there have been a couple of swimming pool instances uh, here lately. Uh, I'm from North Carolina. There's one in North Carolina woman is at her community pool um and she's confronted about 
being, you know, does she have a right to be there and stuff? Um, there's a guy, I was just watching a video because I, I try to do some prep work for you guys. And so I was watching and this guy was in a apartment complex and off duty security is like, hey, you know, you supposed to be here. And he's like, I'm literally just sitting here. Like, why are you bothering me? And he's like, were well, you supposed to be here? And you got to have a key fob to get in. So he shows him his key fob, and that's not good enough. Or you live. Or, you know, it's, it is crazy, call them police. Um, and even when the police are already present, there's some crazy stuff. Just recently, there's a man going on a tirade about this woman wearing his Puerto Rico shirt, and you shouldn't have this in uh, America and stuff like that. And people want to think that this stuff's isolated, and it's not, you know, because we we like to think that, or I say we, not me. Uh, I wish it was, um, but a lot of people uh, want to turn the conversation that uh, that there is no such thing as uh, um, as racism anymore. Uh, that somehow that Black Jesus, Barack Obama, uh, abolished racism. And I'm here to tell you, uh, he didn't. Um, <laughs> he absolutely didn't. Um, if anything, the last two presidencies have turned over more races and, and made it more of a public outing uh, than it has been. Uh, a more of a revival, if you will. Um, so, and let me, um, uh, side note, so one of the episodes I was talking about, I, w- I wanted to do some co-hosting uh, with my friend Devona. Well, she, she's recently uh, had some health issues and stuff, and I'm still going to set that up. Uh, give her a little bit more time to uh, recover from her stuff. So, you know, prayers out to Devona. Um, I hope you uh, you get well. Uh, the people will be more than ready for you when you get well and uh, to hear your wonderful opinions and uh, your humor. Um, but um, because I, I, I'm not doing that and hadn't done any interviews and stuff, I went and found some stuff off of um, – MSNBC, and if you want to just like tune out because you heard that, I get it. Um, but it was like everyday racism in America. So I'm going to play this. It's like 12 minutes or whatever and stuff, and I'll discuss. We'll discuss afterwards. Um, like I said, you know, you got questions. You don't. You you don't like some of the stuff. You like some of the stuff. Hit me up. Uh, either at the uh, the website, uh, you can email me directly. Uh, once again, WW, uh, not WW, but, uh, the main event podcast at gmail.com. Uh, let me know what you think and stuff, but I'm gonna play for you, um, this clip, everyday racism in America. And there's a couple things that I want to discuss afterwards after these interviews and stuff. So, uh, let's do that. I'm moving from DC. I'm sweating right now. I'm in my apartment. Somebody called the cops on me in my own building. Can't go nowhere without the cops following me. You know how it is. Move back to my city. It's Friday night. I'm about to go outside and start moving things into the building. I'm gonna make sure I'm not too loud. I'm not thumping. I was cognizant of that. I'm like, I'm not gonna make make a bunch of noise here. So what exactly happened? So I was about halfway through my move. I'm tired. You know, I'm moving boxes up and down. I get into the lobby and I look at the door. And I see blue and white, I see police. I look to my left, I look to my right, and I, I looked inside, I'm like, they're here for me. What's the problem? I live here. Invest- what are you guys investigating? Listen, listen, listen. They immediately start asking me, who are you? Uh, what are you doing here? Then they play the dispatch. Someone was trying to break into the door. 
You know, responding to uh, someone banging on doors, has a, a weapon on them. We doing our job, that's it. Who called you? If you do nothing wrong, you're good to go. Who called you? Someone called us. This was somebody in the building who, who did not want me there. People don't realize the consequences of their actions. When you profile and you act on that profiling, you're reporting a crime. A reporting a crime that may not be in process. The only yeah, crime you, that you, you saw... Your crime was living while black. Living while black. In this case, moving while black. Welcome back. So many of these incidents start with one simple phone call to the police which is presumably there to protect and serve. But in a world where folks are encouraged to say something, if they see something, the question is, when should people call the cops? With us now is Larry Krasner, the district attorney for Philadelphia. Also, Philip Atiba Goff, professor in policing equity at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. And Tim Wise, an anti-racist educator and the author of the forthcoming book, White Lies, A White Lies Matter, Race, <laughs> Crime, and the Politics of Fear in America. Now, we're hearing plenty of stories about everyday racism from the perspective of the black. But these interactions actually have two parties. Filmmaker Whitney Dow has been exploring these issues in a documentary series called The Whiteness Project, in which he talks to white Americans about race. I think about race a lot. Um, I do feel a common bond with other white people because that's primarily who I find myself being around. I feel more comfortable around more people in my race. I hate that it's like that, but it is. I think it's a lot, uh, we're more comfortable around each other because we, it doesn't seem, and I may be wrong, it doesn't seem that there's as many whites that are out doing crimes and murdering and causing trouble and doing a lot of those things. That, and filmmaker Whitney Dow joins us now. And Whitney, I'm wondering if you could talk about the process of getting white people, frankly, to talk about race and how you get them comfortable enough to be open and honest about issues of race and racial bias? Well, I think white people are desperate to talk about race. I think white people don't know how to have that conversation. And when you create an environment where they can actually talk honestly about it and talk about how they feel, how they, that, that, that they really, really want to have the conversation. Yeah. And I'm wondering how much of the way that they react to people of color is rooted in sort of in your view, misinformation, you heard the last guy say, well, you know, black people are committing the crimes, right? And how much of it is sort of learned behavior? And in your view, how much of it is outright bias? Well, I mean, it, it's, I think, I think there's, there's an incredible amount of fear, an incredible amount of, and I think there's a lot of outright bias, but actually I've been thinking a lot about this. I think that, that, you know, I just came back from Wyoming where I spent about a week interviewing 50 white people and partially white people talking about their experience living in an almost all white uh, community. But I think that what, and what um, is really interesting to me is that they, is that is that they're in, they're, they're in, a, in a community where there's almost no people of color, and all the information they get is from the media. So the media, they're seeing over and over again these images. And one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is that all these videos that have come out showing police attacking uh, people of color and that have kind of finally let white people understand and see in reality how black people experience the police, but they're also doing something else. They're also showing on a loop black people involved with the police. And for a certain segment of society, that actually triggers them and says, look, this is actually true, that the black people have more interactions with police than white people. Um, you, you were just shaking your head, Philip. I mean, you do this work with police departments uh, around trying to get 
officers uh, to, to think in a sort of different way and with, with people in general about when they're calling the cops. No, that's exactly right. And, and Whitney is exactly right. Um, some of the benefit of exposure here is that it's waking America up to what black communities have been dealing with since black communities have been communities in the United States. But he's also right that the learned association mm -hmm. of black plus police plus black plus police, that's how you form implicit biases, right? And absolutely, when they go unchecked, implicit biases become explicit action. Can, can you, I'm curious to hear from you. You're, you're the district attorney here in Philadelphia. You're doing something very interesting. You're ran on a reform agenda. Uh, you're trying to sort of transform the vision for what that office of prosecutor looks like. What's the answer to the question of when someone should call the cops? You know, the difficulty is that as people feel suspicion, they're tapping into their biases. And it is not a situation in which most people have no bias. The truth is we're constantly bombarded with bias, with prejudice. It's almost like fighting germs to try to keep these away from us. It takes a certain amount of work. So the difficulty is when you have a society, as we do, which has an incredibly high level of incarceration, extreme involvement of police in fairly everyday things, and unfortunately, to their detriment, a lot of police have become the first responders for mental health issues, for family disputes, you know, it used to be that if there was a fight in the schoolyard, this was a disciplinary matter, and that turned into a school-to-prison pipeline. Well, in the same way, just normal disagreements and disputes and curiosities in society have turned into individuals making phone calls because, frankly, they find the race of the person they're watching to be inherently suspicious. So it's a problem, and it does require the participation of everyone not to tap into their biases and to look at what's really happening. Yeah, and Tim, you know, it, for, for, you know, for a lot of, of black people, the idea of the police is, you know, quite frankly, intimidating, frightening. The idea of calling the cops on someone is, is sort of an almost threatening, right? It, right? But for white Americans who are comfortable with the police, it seems like a problem. It seems like a solution to right. this person who shouldn't be here. Right. I like how you look at me like I'm comfortable with police. <laughs> <laughs> you know me better than I do. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, here's the thing. White America has been raised to believe, A, the police are always the good guys, and frankly, that black lives matter less than white comfort. And until we deal with that, until we deal with the reality, because here's the problem. When you, when, you, when a white person calls the police on a person of color over a barbecue in a park, sleeping in a common room at Yale, sitting at the Starbucks or whatever it is, knowing that Tamir Rice's life was snuffed because someone called the cops on a 12-year-old boy playing with a toy gun. Something that white boys do all across this country without fear of being shot. And that's a national story. You can't tell me you didn't know that happened. When John Crawford is called, a cop's called on him at the Walmart, also in the state of Ohio, not to pick on Ohio, and he's standing there with an air rifle that he pulled off the shelf at Walmart. He's talking to his girlfriend or whatever, and the cops are called on him. They come, they shoot him. When, when you know that is what happens, what you are saying is, my discomfort with you right now is worth more than the potential that your life yep. could be snuffed in 10 minutes. Until that stops, nothing is going to change. Part of the sort of common theme here in a lot of these stories, you know, you come upon someone napping in a common room, is like, you can just talk to the person. Like, you don't have to, there, there right. is, the discomfort is so right. intense, right? The discomfort is so intense that rather than be like, hey, what's up? 
Like, to whoever you want to have the conversation with, right. you're going to call 911, an emergency line, to report right. something. That's exactly. So, so one of the things that I will never forget about one of the first conversations I had with a police chief was the thing that would make my job so much easier is if everybody just took social relations classes. Because <laughs> almost 90% of right. the things that my officers are getting called for are things that you could just go up and have a conversation right. if you weren't so scared of your neighbors. Right. And the rest of it, right, that, that causes so much... Uh, terror amongst the community is stuff that police could never be trained for, right? So the chief that was telling me this, right, former chief in Salt Lake City says, you shouldn't call me and my officers unless you want an armed response. Because while we get training in mental health, we get training in substance abuse, we get training in family planning, we are also trained in deadly force. If you don't want it, then don't call for it. And, and you know, you also have the issue of police officers who exhibit fear toward the people that they're stopping, the Philando Castillo case. So I wonder why there isn't some sort of legal prohibition against a nuisance call, calling the police for something that isn't a crime. Right, right. It's a really good idea. Um, although we have to admit, you know, the, the nature of criminal prosecution is intentional acts, and an awful lot of what we're talking about is ingrained bias. Right. It is prejudice that is breathed in and just seems to express itself in these ways. But fundamentally, you are talking about a society in which there is an incredibly high level of suspicion and a willingness to subject someone who is other, and that could very well be a mentally ill person or a person of color or someone who is in any other way presumed to be, you know, threatening because of youth or whatever it may be, you're subjecting them to incredible dangers in a militarized police system. Well, and there's also, I mean, there's also the fact that there is a policing model in this country, and, and, you know, it started with broken windows policing in New York City in the 1990s, it's spread everywhere, which is that part of policing is, quote, quality of life, right? right? And quality of life is, I feel uncomfortable. Right. That's the definition of quality of life. I mean, literally, and, and your office and the offices of district attorneys around this country are processing thousands and thousands and thousands of people a day who are doing things like breakdancing on the subway or selling M&Ms or something like that. Well, fortunately, fewer here than some other places. But yes, there's no question that a lot of what has been done traditionally is that kind of prosecution. It's the little stuff. It tends to be something that picks on people who are in poor neighborhoods, often black and brown. It tends to be ignoring, uh, you know, massive crimes committed at a white-collar level by prosperous people and by corporations. That is the nature, unfortunately, of what prosecutors have done for a long time, is that they have been the face of a government that is going to treat certain people a bad way. Yeah, and, and, and I do have to ask before we go to break, we yeah. go to break, but Tim, because how much of this is also about gentrification? Because we've had issues where a neighborhood where somebody who would have been familiar to yeah. the residents now is unfamiliar to people who've moved in and now are uncomfortable in the process. Right. Well, the irony is the, the gentrifiers of today, their parents or their grandparents, ran away from the city to get away from black and brown folk. And now their children and their grandchildren are saying, oh, the suburbs, there's only so many olive gardens I can go to, so I need to go back to the city and get my life in the city. But when I do that, I need to have my hot yoga studio and my pottery studio and my stuff represented. And if you intrude on that, I will then call the police. This is all part of a larger problem. We cannot solve it just in the prosecutor's offices. We have to look at it as a housing issue and education issue. Philadelphia Goff and Larry Krausner, thank you both, gentlemen. Really appreciate it. Thank you, and much more from Philadelphia coming up, including what is the path forward? So, that's really the question is, is like, what's the path forward? You know, we hear all this stuff, and um, how do we combat it? 
And so I'll, I'll tell you with a lot of problems that we have, not just this one, I always think the education is the the first thing. Um, I think a lot of the discomfort that they were talking about, which is real, um, comes from a lack of education. Uh, one of the guys, and you know, you can sit there and listen to it and you think to yourself, man, that one guy talking about, well, you know, it's just the way it is. And, you know, I feel comfortable around people my own race. Well, that's kind of the way it is in America. We do. Um, and But you feel comfortable around people who have similar backgrounds to you. And I think, you know, with the education, you know, exposure, maybe it's exposure slash education is one of those things that, that helps out. You know, when we when we're all afraid of things that we don't know. That was growing up in kids and stuff. It wasn't the dark per se, but it was what was perceived that was hidden within the dark. And that's kind of where the education exposure thing is: is that you shine the lights in those corners, and you expose those things, and you get people to understand that um, we all kind of want the same stuff, and it doesn't matter what the topic is. I was recently having a conversation with. Um, some of the guys I work with, and that was one of the things I was like, you know, there are, we have more things in common than we have differences. Uh, it doesn't matter what side of the issue you are, we, we're really um, saying the same thing. Um, and maybe that'll be uh, one of my segments is to, to wrap it all up. So we're really saying the same thing. So what's that same thing? I'll, I'll, try, it. I'll try it on this one. Uh, but really with the education stuff, you know, I think that uh, they were absolutely right that uh, people of color are overrepresented on TV with crime and interaction with police. And uh, when you look at where people of color are, and this is another thing that brought out is that, you know, we tend to be in predominantly um, urban areas, not rural. And the U.S. is outside of your major population centers. If you've ever taken a drive across the U.S., there is a lot and a lot, a lot of room out there. And there are a lot of people who get their information, so lack of education and exposure, uh, from TV, seeing these images over and over again. And if you think to yourself that, well, that's not true, yesterday, this is a conversation I had yesterday. Um, for the program that I'm in right now, there was another guy that was out here working uh, in 2015, and he drove out from North Carolina. Um, buddy Phil worked with him in the, uh, the guard out there, and Phil had his car stolen. Phil had some tools in his car and stuff. They stole his car. Uh, he was later recovered. They burnt it out and stuff, and they stole all his tools. So we started talking about um, that kind of crime here locally. And uh, we had another guy that came out, had a rental car. Had, he was at the Walmart off of Watt Avenue. Um, and he had his window broken into, his car broken into. And we're talking about that. And this is yesterday now. One of the guys says, yeah. And uh, you know what? And they say it's racist if you say, and I thought about myself just shaking my head, whatever you're going to say, it probably is going to be racist. And it was. He was like, you know, it's mostly, they won't say it because it happens in, you know, these bad neighborhoods. But it's mostly Mexicans and black people doing it. And I looked at him. I said, really? He's like, yeah. He said, it was poor white people, but they're too, they're too poor to be committing crime. This was yesterday. Yesterday, I had this conversation. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't really know what to say. It was just so ignorant and unfounded and just completely biased. 
Like, and you can prove this somehow, that that's who committed these crimes. You have no idea. When I was growing up, I had a buddy of mine, um, middle-class family, white kid, uh, drove this probe. He played on a basketball team and a real cool guy. Um, his part-time thing he liked to do was he liked to steal radio systems from guys. He would go to the mall. Guys would, this is back in the 90s, um, when guys were running around with their uh, 15s and woofers and stuff like that and their systems. And, you know, guys would go to the mall and show off, and he would follow them home. He'd case out their place. And when he felt comfortable, he'd go back, and he would break into their cars and steal their radio systems and resell them. That's how he got his extra cash. Did he need money? Nope. That's what he did. The white guy. How many people thought that there was a black guy going out there stealing their stuff? Now, am I suggesting that all car thefts are committed by white people? Nope. Um, I'm suggesting that they're committed by people, and unless you catch one, you don't know who did it. Um, but yeah, that was yesterday. That um. They were too poor to commit crime, white people. As probably the most absurd uh, stance for uh, crime, because then we should just make everybody too poor to commit crime. Um, when, in fact, I believe economics is one of the leading causes of crime. Um, but without that education, that exposure, you come up with those kind of ideas when you're isolated. And this is a guy who lives... Um, he, I want to say he does probably doesn't live in a diverse community. I'm going to say that. I know it, the, in the industry, in the airborne tanker industry, there's not many African Americans. Uh, I've probably met the only one, the only, uh, other one I know in the contracting business last year, um, a pilot. And so it's just not a lot of exposure. And if you don't have exposure to stuff, you can make those kind of things. You can make those kind of assumptions. And that's what a lot of it is, is like the project prejudice and stuff, those assumptions. And a lot of people want to say that they don't have them, but they do. And so if you think to yourself, well, Jermaine, you're wrong uh, about all this. And I, you know, I, I give you that. And again, hit me up on the email and, uh, you know, uh, post some comments in the notes and stuff. And, but, um, Think about this one example, and I'm going to get into some more, but just think about this one example. When you see young black kids and like a BMW or Mercedes, uh, and they're riding around, they're playing loud music and stuff, what do you think about those kids? What comes to your mind? Honestly, do you think to yourself, here are some overprivileged black kids whose parents have a whole bunch of money and they're just out here cutting up, or... Do you think to yourself, they're probably selling drugs, they probably stole that car, they're up to no good in some fashion form. Now, I mean, I can't go into your house. I can't I can't tell you or, you know, you don't have to. But really think about it. Is that what you think? And if you think to yourself, well, no. I, let me ask you the inverse of that question. When you see young white kids in that same situation, what do you think then? Do you ever think, that those kids are up to no good or is your first thought that those are privileged kids out here with no direction getting into trouble 
you magically you magically think that they're drug dealers or something. We all have prejudice. We do. It's ingrained in us. It really is. You know, one of the things that we have to do in that that path forward is we need to confront and own those prejudices, though. And no problem ever gets better by denying the existence of it. You can never fix anything or cure anything by treating symptoms. You've got to treat the problem. And the prejudice that we've had over the years, think about this other example. Cowboys and Indians. My daddy loved the Western movies. Saw a lot of Westerns growing up because uh, when I was growing up, um, you only had cartoons on Saturday morning, and it was over by 12. And if you missed it, you missed it. There was no more stuff during the week for you. Uh, you get Mr. Rogers, you get, <laughs> you get Big Bird, uh, and more on PBS. But that was it. There was no more. There was not 24 hours uh, worth of cartoons, entertainment for kids and stuff. But at 12 o'clock, the uh, the westerns came on. My dad loved western stuff. And one of the things that you learn about westerns is the good guys wear white. Bad guys wear black. Hey, who's good? Cowboys or Indians? Why was that played out like that on TV? You know, I've heard a lot of different stuff. Uh, I'm from the South, and we, we always have to talk about, um, and I'm off script again, uh, Confederate monuments and stuff, which could be a whole nother episode on that. Um, and people always talking about, and now that people are trying to rewrite history, it's not that we're trying to rewrite history, but we don't want to celebrate history that doesn't need to be celebrated. Um, and so the rewrite of history is when we tell people that Indians were bad people and they're right here for no apparent reason <laughs> shooting up cowboys. Um, when the real thing is, is that um, the first true immigrants to this country uh, did exactly, they were bad hombres and they were uh, raping and pillaging and doing all that bad stuff. And uh, those were our, those were the pilgrims, our, the forefathers of this country and stuff. And they brought a lot of stuff to this country. And they encroached and encroached and encroached because they believed in manifest destiny. That everything they could see was theirs. And therefore, they didn't deserve it. And so what we did was is that uh, hundreds of years later, we turned that into, well, the Indians were bad. And that's why they were doing that. That the good guys wear white. Um, those are some ingrained prejudices and, and until you own them and own up to what I may be prejudiced about some things, um, the people who don't see color don't see a lot of things. Uh, they miss out on a lot of things in life. Um, because they, they don't see anything. Um, those are dangerous people. Um, the, the big thing in this life that you're going to understand or you got to understand is that, you have the ability to speak up. The silent majority is what really kills. There are a lot of things that go on that we are consenting to through our silence. I I had a uh, officer once tell me that when um, I said something to him because I was like, man, you're a little bit of a uniform Nazi. He's like, if I see you doing something wrong and I don't correct you, I have offered my consent. My silence is consent. And so, you know, think about that uh, when you're out there and you see some stuff. 
if you see somebody going through something, whether it's a man abusing his wife or, uh, you know, there's a real crime being committed and you don't say anything, you don't act, you don't, you don't do the right thing, then you are consented to it because you have an obligation in society to be productive and a helpful member of society. That's kind of your role. Whether you want it or not, that that's what it is. And, you know, speaking of just communication, you know, most of the aforementioned stuff, like I said, could have been solved by communication. If you've had that education and exposure and you, you can kind of get away from your fear, why don't you wake up somebody that's sleeping in the day room and say, hey, you, hey, hey, room's that way. Uh, this person actually, that person actually been known to, had been known to make several calls uh, on people of color for different um, petty and unillegal things. Um, but that communication keeps you away from a lot of this stuff. Um, there's some stuff like the um, girl selling water, um, the whole thing with the woman that was wearing the Puerto Rico t-shirt and that cop who sat there and watched that man get up in her face has, has resigned as he should have because he wasn't doing his job. She asked him to intervene. He's an officer of the law. She was obviously being harassed. She was where she was supposed to be and she was being harassed and the police officer sat there and allowed it to happen. And is, um, I think it was Will Smith said it. They, they were asking about police brutality and stuff. And so, Will, if this is not you, I personally apologize. And uh, you can, I'll, I'll come to your house and apologize. If that would make you feel better. There's nothing to do with the fact that I think your wife's sexy. Um, but I believe Will said it's not that it's happening more, it's just being captured more. We're just in the uh, in a technological technological point in our society where there's a lot more availability of recording and being able to post that stuff and it being able to be seen and become viral. And like I said, to begin with, a lot of this stuff is not new to the community or the culture. Um, we see it all the time. If you're not seeing it, it's probably because you don't live in these urban centers and you're not really exposed um, to a diverse um, neighborhood or, what you know, I don't know how to phrase that, but you're just not exposed to it. Your life's not um, that diverse. Um, a lot of people look at the military and they go, you know what, band of brothers, blah, blah, blah. I, let me tell you, um, there's no magic uh, for why a lot of guys in the military uh, from different backgrounds um, seemingly get along. And it's not just the, the threat of death. What it is is what I've said before is that we've actually got more in common than we think. Here's a hint for you. Most of the guys in the military don't come from affluence. Very few ever come from affluence. Most people, no matter if it was in Nebraska or Chicago, come from some kind of struggle. And that's why they chose the military, because they needed the help for education. They needed the help to get out of their situation and their struggle. What we find out when we spend hours and hours and hours on top of each other, uh, training and fighting and getting ready to fight, is that we have a common background and that's what we were talking about earlier and that's what that guy was talking about and that that clip was is that you know you tend to hang around the people and that's that's been proven for years people associate with people that have shared experiences well if you were to boil it down we all have shared experiences 
there's a lot of things that we can relate to. And we assume that we're very, very different. A lot of issues that we're facing today are simply over-exaggerated because of our media coverage and stuff. And believe me, it's all about the money and their separation in money and conflict. And because the law, the loudest dog whistle is the one with the biggest sound bites and stuff. And those are the ones that get on TV. And that's the stuff that you hear and you see on Facebook and people retweet without even knowing if it's true or stuff. And, and, and therefore we, we tend to believe that there are people on a different side of the issue who are way out there. And it's not really most of the people in the silent majority aren't way out there on issues. They're kind of all over the place. You know, like I'm kind of all over the place. You know, do I like guns? Yeah, I like guns. Would I like to have um, some Berettas? And <laughs> I'd, I'd like to have all, an assortment of some heavy-hitting weapons and stuff. Um, but if you could reasonably come to me and tell me that there was a gun control plan in place that would assure that my children never had to face that danger while they were in school, I would absolutely give you every gun I ever had. I think the problem is is that when they're being represented on TV, these kind of things, you see the extremes of both positions, like give me all your guns versus I want to have every gun that's, that's ever been made. And not the general people would go, hey, look, it's a law-abiding citizen. It's hard enough for me to get a gun. I subject it to a background check, biometrics, um, the waiting period. You know, I really wish the mental health stuff was back in. But a lot of people understand that, and that's why they, 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 they invest a lot of money in gun safes and gun safety and making sure that their stuff's not turned around. I think, you know, a lot of people overestimate the um, where illegal guns come from. And it, like I said, that, that, that whole thing is a whole different thing. But just to say that on those kind of issues, I think that we, on both sides of that issue, um, are closer then we're being told to a solution. Um, because like I said, there's money in conflict. And so in this conflict of what it is to be a person of color in this country right now and this climate under this administration and stuff, um, and the what seems to be the uh, increased um, indifference and the hostility towards people of color in this country, you know, what is the path forward? Well, there's probably no one real simple solution, like, say, education exposure, communication, confronting and owning those uh, biases and stuff, understanding that 911 is not customer service. Uh, there's one. Let me try that one. But, you know, what, what do we do? How do we move forward? I think uh, it's a little bit of everything. I think that, again, there's no magic pill for this kind of stuff. There's not one simple solution. Uh, there's a lot of history that, and I, and I know it, it's hard to address the demons and the bad stuff. Nobody wants to talk about that. And when people do talk about it, um, there are people out there who want to stick their fingers in the air and go, nah, nah, boo-boo. A lot of people act like the civil rights movement was hundreds of years ago. The people that oppose that stuff are still of voting age. They're still alive. Grandma and grandpa ain't dead. Um, they're right here, and a lot of them who have not had that exposure in education, um, who are not confronting 
those prejudices that they had then they're still here um i used to when i was younger one of the um like sixth grade age i don't know what that is but in the sixth grade i had this uh friend and uh, his grandfather was a clansman and um uh, used to go over uh, his trailer and uh his his granddad would, uh his dad he would call me boy <laughs> and i was a good boy good black kid good boy um and a lot of people want to think that just like his grandfather who's no longer here that that stuff's no longer here and that's not the case um there are a lot of people if you were really honest with yourself who tell some really inappropriate jokes um and who have some really inappropriate ideas you just be honest with yourself. But the way forward, I think, um, like I say, with everything is a little bit of education, um, communication. And so hopefully uh, we can start to not just observe these things, but be good citizens and speak up. There are a lot of people out there, like the guys uh, in Starbucks who were uh, real estate investors, and again, this is national news type stuff, so you can't say I don't know anything about that. But real estate investors who were had the police call on them because they were sitting in Starbucks, like hundreds of people do, uh, waiting on uh, somebody to show up so they could start their business meeting, and then they were going to buy stuff. Um, but just waiting, police there less than fifteen minutes after they arrive um, because somebody felt threatened. They wouldn't do anything threatening. Um, so we, we've got to make a way forward because this stuff, is, it's been going on for way too long. It didn't just happen. It's not just a, a new phenomenon. Like I say, it's just being captured more. And this is an opportunity uh, for us as a society to define ourselves. You don't have to worry about if you were back during slavery or if you were in a uh, world war or if you were in some type, some 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 moment in history, a great conflict, who you would have been in that moment, because you're in that moment now, and you are who you're going to be now. And so who's that going to be? What are you going to do? When your grandkids remember you or when they ask you about this stuff, what are you going to tell them? You going to lie? You don't have to if you live your truth. Hey, uh, next week... I promise to continue my leadership series. Um, I kind of knew that this was going to go over an hour just with this stuff, and I didn't want to tack on my leadership stuff um, to the end of this podcast. But I'm going to finish up with Leadership Lives because I think that uh, it's pretty cool. And uh, I'm going to finish building the house. We're going to put the uh, put the bones up, as it were, put the roof on, and table uh, the different kind of rooms and the functionality of those rooms in the next episode. Um I've enjoyed it. Like I say, I'm back on my grind. I'm doubling down on my social media. So check all that out. Go to the website, www.themaineventpodcast.com. Uh, leave me some likes. Leave me some feedback. You can hit me up on that email again. Let me know what you think. Um, it has been a pleasure. Again, um, I did want to say just one last time. Hi, haters. Hey, 
Good night to all my haters, because I got to go, I got to go, I got to go.